Hello ladies, we're back and we are going to be going over the last five of the Ten Commandments. Last week we focused on the first five, honoring God and those put in authority over us. And these are going to be focused on how we relate or how we honor our neighbors, those around us, um, other people that we might interact with. So jumping right in. Um, we're going to start with, you shall not murder. Very short and to the point, no explanation, just you shall not murder. Exodus 20 verse 13. And this almost seems like a duh kind of commandment, at least for me, when I read it, that's what pops into my head. That's what I hear is like, duh, of course, I'm not going to kill someone. Um, I can't even fathom ever having the the desire or that or inclination to do that but let's remind ourselves again where the israelites who was the first audience for this set of commands we are newly freed from egypt it's a brand new baby nation that needs to have structure and stability so god is not just thinking about us as Christians years down the line, he is trying to think about what the Israelites will need, which is guidance on how to operate as a community going forward. Now that they're in control of themselves, which they've never been before, they need to know what that looks like. What do they need to do? What don't they do? That kind of thing. And even though it seems like a no-brainer and the one commandment that we as Christians today would never break. Our homework helped remind us that we're not out of the woods yet by pointing us to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 21 through 22. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Well, snap. I have definitely been angry before. I have definitely held on to anger a little bit too long. So that changes things. Jesus flipped everything around and made it known that God wasn't just interested in our external behavior and what appeared on the outside, but what was in our hearts as well. And it wasn't just anger. We can all be angry. We can be angry at God. We've seen that countless times in the Bible where people have been angry at God. And I'm sure that once or twice or a couple of times you may have experienced anger at God and anger at other people in your lives. And he's not saying that being angry is the same as taking someone's life. But when we hold on to that anger towards something someone has done to you. And then we project it and we mold it further and we hold onto it and we let it grow. And all of a sudden the person is the target of your anger. The person is the reason that everything went wrong. And you start to whittle this person down and push them down in your mind until they are worthless. And you're sucking the worth out of them because of this anger that has shifted into contempt. 
A tiny seed of anger, when you hold onto it and focus on it, will continue to grow and grow. And what is being said is that once you get to that point where that anger has shifted and grown and just multiplied, it is not too far a jump to murder. It's not too far until we can start to justify taking someone's life because we've let that anger fester and boil in our own hearts. Again, not equating anger to murdering someone, being angry and stabbing someone, not the same thing, but it all starts in the heart. And that's what God is focused on. That's what God cares about, what is in our hearts. I also believe that it isn't just our actions, but it's about our words as well. You can speak words to kill a person's spirit. You can use your words to knock someone else down and build yourself up. You can discourage someone. You can silence someone, and that is damaging to them. You might not be taking their life in the physical, like they're no longer breathing sense, but you can take the life out of someone with your words and how you behave towards them. We are called to use our words and our actions to speak life, bring life into other people, to nurture people around us. We are supposed to be life givers. Everyone could probably think of a time when someone encouraged them and built them up with their words and they spoke life and they made them feel like they could do anything. And you could just as quickly think of a time where someone said something that changed who you were as a person completely, where you started to behave differently because of the words that they said. The person that you were died and this new person is here because of what someone may have said to you. And that is just the same as breaking this command, you shall not murder. It's a lot more expansive. It's a lot bigger than just taking someone's life. Nice and easy breezy, we're moving on to the next commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Again, very short, just like you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, period. But again, we're not simply talking about having an affair or having sexual relations with someone who is not your spouse. It's another command that Jesus talks about specifically during his Sermon on the Mount, where it's not all about the external, it's about the internal too. Jesus tells us that we should do whatever it takes to deal with the lust, the contempt in our heart that leads us to adultery, that leads us to this behavior of breaking the commandment. Seeing those around us as the full people that they are, not whittling them down and molding them into something that we see as consumable or something that we, someone or something that we can use for our benefit with no value. Seeing them as people that who are also created in the image of God and not just an object 
to be used. Marriage is a very important institution, an important relationship to God. It is compared to the relationship that Christ has with the church, that a man that loves his wife loves himself. When you become married, when you are married to someone else, you become one person. And so when you are loving that person, you are loving yourself. And when you are hurting that person, you are hurting yourself. It's not just the man or the husband, even though that is what's referenced in the scripture, it's both sides. Both people have the responsibility to love their spouse and to nurture and to take care of that relationship and that person. Doing what we can do can to rid our society or our world of pornography fighting against sex trafficking, or going against practices that are encouraged in our society today that encourages sexual infidelity, are how we can actively go above and beyond not breaking this commandment. It's not just about not watching pornography, not lusting after another person, not ignoring what's going on around us, not supporting Um, the polyamorous lifestyle that is just raging in our community or in our society right now, it's taking steps to actively fight those things. Taking a stand when you have the opportunity to take a stand. All right, guys, moving on. This is super fun, right? The commandments, the second half, super intense, really exciting. The next command that we're going to look at, you shall not steal. And I'll start out by saying that nothing that we have, nothing that anyone else has, belongs to any of us. It all belongs to God. Everything that we own or have have ever owned, will ever own, and anything that anyone else around us has is not our own. It all belongs to God. And we honor this commandment when we remember that. And remember that it's not about what we have or what God has given us, but what we do with that. We're called to be good stewards of the things that God has blessed us with. And we, when we steal, we are taking something that God has given to someone else because we think that we are entitled to it. And we are not entitled to anything. There is nothing we can do or have done that has earned us anything that we have right now. It is all given to us because of who God is and because he loves us and wants to give us these things. And this becomes easier when there's more distance between what, between us and whoever owns whatever it is we're stealing. That's when it becomes easier and easier and the less significant it begins to feel when we're doing it. Like all sin, this is an insidious, growing 
thing. It stays in your heart and it only gets bigger. The desire to do it grows stronger and it becomes easier and easier to do it and to justify that it's okay, that it doesn't matter, that it's not really a big deal. Entitlement, telling the lie that we deserve it because we've done all the right things, we've said all the right prayers, instead of focusing on being, the focus being on God and who he is, is where we fall and where we can break this commandment. He is a God who gives and blesses. Again, not because of who we are or what we do, but because of who he is. The next commandment, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Exodus 20, verse 16. This really boils down to telling the truth about another person's character. That's it. Making sure that we are speaking the truth, especially when it comes to somebody else and who they are as a person. The book has you look at Proverbs 25, 18 through 19. Like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is one who gives false testimony against a neighbor. Like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in a time of trouble. Our words of false testimony, when we lie against our neighbors, it's as harmful as physically harming them. There's the old saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we all know that to be untrue. Words can hurt just as much. Words can destroy reputation. Words can cause certain domino effect of things. It can cause a ripple effect of negative actions, negative uh, consequences if we choose to be deliberately untruthful towards one another. And in the system that the Israelites were building as this new nation, a false testimony could be life or death. If you lied about what you saw or what you heard, it could cost somebody else their life. This is why they would start to get multiple testimonies or from multiple witnesses, they were, weren't going to trust the word of just one person because they wanted to make absolutely sure that they were acting on the truth. And we see that today in our own legal systems. In court cases, they call multiple witnesses to support their case one side or the other. But false witnesses or false testimonies can have major consequences. You could have a mistrial where a trial doesn't continue forward or doesn't get the justice it deserves because people lied on stand. People have been falsely imprisoned because of witnesses or people making false testimonies under oath. Like I said, it could destroy reputation. You could destroy someone's livelihood by falsely testifying testifying against them and spreading lies and rumors. 
And so we just need to make sure that especially when it comes to God and our fellow brothers and sisters, our neighbors, not just in the body of Christ, but everywhere, we are speaking truth. And we represent the God that we serve when we speak the truth. Last commandment. Home stretch. We're almost done. Here we go. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Any of it. We're not supposed to covet anything that anybody else has. And the book asks us to look at the definitions of the words desire and covet, so that's what I would like to do before we go any further. Desire is a strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen. Covet is a yearn to possess or have something. It's not just about wanting to have something. God knows that we are going to have wants and desires and goals and dreams in our life. And he is not discouraging that. He's not even discouraging if we want something that somebody else has. You know, you go to the store or the restaurant and you see someone's bag and you're like, oh, I would like to have a bag like that. Nothing is wrong with that. It's wanting to, it's wanting it, wanting to have it at the expense of the other person. I want to have it and I also don't want you to have it. I don't just want that bag. I want the bag and I don't want you to have one like it. I want to have the bigger house, the bigger car. I want to have the best hair. I don't want to have the same hair or the same car as you. I want to have it and I don't want you to have it because that'll make me better. That'll put me at a higher level. We also are guilty of this when we start to place our happiness or the other person's happiness on owning or having a specific something, whatever that is. We think that because this person has that car, they're happier. And it's that feeling of entitlement again, that desire, that coveting attitude that we've grown and we've boiled and just focused on in our hearts where we're like, if we have it and they don't have it, I will be happier. I need that. I need to have what they have. I need to have something better in order for me to be happy when we really should be focusing on God and having our contentment, our happiness from God through him keeping him at the center of our lives, him at the focus of our lives to find that contentness, find that happiness. It's being content with what we have. We have been blessed with the things that we have from our God. And so we need to find the content feeling, our contentness with that rather than looking at what others have around us. And like I said, the last five commandments have been pretty heavy. 
They're much more expansive than what's written on the page. There's a lot more to it. And it can feel really discouraging to look at these commandments and to feel like we haven't broken one or two or all of them. And I wanted to close out by reading some scripture that I found really encouraging. The worship team has started this new practice of looking at different um, sections of scripture as a whole at during different months so that we can kind of study and have this small group community prior to going on and singing and worshiping with everyone. And so this month, I wanted to read the scripture that we're focusing on because it was so encouraging when thinking about the Ten Commandments and how likely we are to break them. And I didn't want to leave here or want anyone else to leave here feeling discouraged. So I'm going to be reading from Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Bela. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, Never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies, and never again will foreigners drink the new wine for which you have toiled. But who, those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, raise a banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see your Savior comes. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after, the city no longer deserted. It is not about what we do or who we are. It is about who he is. And we are loved by him. We are the beloved. It is out of love and allegiance to God that we commit to keep his commands. But we will make mistakes. We will break commands. The Israelites broke these commands. Moses even broke these commands. But God still loves us. He is a God of promises. He is a provider he is a God of love. He keeps his promises. He loves us anyway. 
we will break commandments and make mistakes, but he will provide for us anyway. He will keep his promises anyway, and we can trust him anyway. Heavenly Father, again, I am so thankful for you, Lord. I'm thankful that not only have you given us guidance on how to serve you perfectly, but you also give us grace and mercy when we are unable to serve you and keep your commands perfectly. You understand that you have made us human and we are sinful by nature. It is through our mistakes that we are able to come to you and to fully receive your grace and your love and to understand who you are. I pray over the women that are listening to this teaching that you have been able to touch their hearts and remind them of who you are and who they are to you, that you love them. These promises were made to them and you will keep those promises. You will keep your word. Help us to fully to fully keep these commandments, to fully live in the way that you want us to live, in the way that will give us the best possible life because it is what you have designed for us. In a world that is shifting and creating its own version of happiness, help us to see the truth. And to see that keeping you at the center is our only way for true happiness, for true contentment. We love you. We honor you. And I pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thank you.